I would like to warn you that this episode of Off the Watch List is spoiler-filled. So, if you've seen the movie, or you just don't care, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Off the Watch List, a podcast about the movies that we have no excuse for missing. My name is Luke. I am Sophia. What did you watch this week, This week, I watched Chicago. Chicago, 2002. 2002, Chicago, directed by... Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. I really like this movie. This was this is my awesome suggestion. Movie. I've yeah, I, I've watched it a couple times. It's probably I would I would consider it one of the best musical to movie adaptations I've ever seen. Also one of the most unique, probably. Yeah, it's very distinct. But we'll we'll get into all that. Okay, so I have some background on the film. So the the movie was released in two thousand two. It was directed by Rob Marshall. I believe it was his first feature film in theaters so kind of a bold choice to come out swinging with with this one um he also choreographed it which i did not know did you really yes that's a little bit of a tie-in to bob fossey who directed and also choreographed the stage version do you know if bob fossey had any influence on the movie uh, yes, so we'll we'll get to that in just a second. The music was written by John Kander with lyrics by Fred Ebb, and that's for the original Broadway production. So they took most of the same songs from the Broadway show, and then Danny Elfman contributed additional orchestrations and scoring to to adapt it to the movie. And I think he did a great job, personally. Oh, yeah. And yeah. everyone knows Danny Elfman from the Spider-Man theme. Sam Raimi Spider-Man. That's his most notable achievement. Yeah. So the movie was based on a 1975 stage musical, which was based in turn on a 1926 play by Maureen Dallas Watkins. Mm. Uh, And she was a courthouse reporter and she based her play on actual criminals that she covered and reported on in Chicago during the 20s. So that's that's kind of cool, even though, you know, the musical came out in the 70s, the movie in the early 2000s, the original story was written at the same time that it was set. So yeah, that's that's kind of neat to me. yeah. Yeah. The 75 musical on Broadway did not do very well, actually, which was surprising to me because Chicago is kind of one of those in just cornerstones of American musical theater. You know, most people who have a knowledge of of musicals are at least familiar with Chicago or aware of it. But yeah, it did not do well at all when it first opened. But then it was revived in 1996. And this is when it kind of took off to to my understanding. That's when the musical kind of cemented itself in, in pop culture. It won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album, and it won a whole bunch of Tonys that year, including Best Revival of a Musical, Best Leading Actor, Best Leading Actress, Best Direction, Best Choreography, and Best Lighting, interestingly. They do not have a Best Choreography Oscar, but they definitely should. Um, Yeah, yeah. There are a couple Oscars they're missing, like choreography and and stunt performances. Mm -hmm. If you watch movies with awesome stunts or awesome choreography like Chicago has... You're like, man, (laughs) the Oscars need to honor these people. These people are amazing. Yes. The 1996 production actually, it currently holds the record for the longest running revival of a musical on Broadway. And it was also revived in the West End around the same time. And 
It holds the record there for the longest running American musical in the West End, which I thought was interesting. I'd like to see British people perform Chicago. I feel like that'd be a very unique experience. (laughs) I would not. (laughs) (laughs) And let's see. The movie in 2002 won Best Picture Mm -hmm. at the Oscars. One of the few musicals to ever do so in the modern era. Yeah, I think it was the first one since... When did Oliver come out? 1968 1968 yeah, yeah. so oliver was the most recent one i think and i think i think it's well deserved i i have a very high opinion of this movie and so yeah it's kind of interesting bob fossey who again directed and choreographed the stage production apparently had wanted to make it into a, a film but had died before it was completed and you know one can assume that he would have directed and choreographed the movie as well he was a great director in his own right yeah um, i'm sure at some point we'll end up talking about all that jazz yeah but it's a uh, chicago inspired you could say before <laughs> chicago happened yeah but so i don't think rob marshall has any you know, personal connection to bob fossey i, I could be incorrect about that but it's kind of neat that he then came in and and fulfilled this vision that the original creator had and and stepped into the same roles that he would have had. And I I like that better than you think of like Bill Watterson, who doesn't want anything to happen to the Calvin and Hobbes comics. And and so it'd kind of suck if, you know, after after he died, someone would be like, oh, let's make a Calvin and Hobbes movie. (laughs) You mean you don't want a live action Calvin and Hobbes movie? Uh, but no, I, I, and I feel like that happens a lot. People will take some element of pop culture and then do something with it that would have gone against the original creator's wishes. I mean, another example of that is To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee, uh, mm-hmm. her follow-up book to Set a Watchman, I believe, mm-hmm. got released when she was super old and kind of had some form of dementia and did not give permission to release that book yeah. in, a, in a sound mind. And honestly, even though lots of people have read the book and seemingly enjoyed it, it kind of in many ways destroys a lot of what people love about To Kill a Mockingbird. And so there was a reason that she didn't release it. Um, and then yeah. these people kind of, in a way, took advantage of her state and mm-hmm. released this pseudo unfinished novel. Yeah. Let's respect creator's wishes. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, but so that, I don't know. I would have enjoyed the movie anyway, but that makes me just feel a, a little more warm-hearted towards it, knowing that it was something that Bob Fosse would have and, and explicitly did want to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to mention the movie Chicago won Best Picture at the Academy Awards in 2002. Yes? 2003. 2003. And Catherine Zeta-Jones, did I say Cathra? Catherine. I know her name, but I, I'm not sure if I said it. Okay. Uh, you can leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Don't worry. Catherine Zeta-Jones won Best Supporting Actress for her role as Velma Kelly, which I thought was interesting because I don't consider Velma to be a supporting role. Would you call her a lead role? I would call her a lead role. Really? I, I think she and Roxy are equally important the lead role and the supporting role in i guess it's the award show picture is always really confusing because i don't know whose discretion it is i know that films submit things for consideration and so if you want to get if you want to get your movie nominated for an oscar you basically send it into the academy for your consideration for these categories Mm -hmm. but 
there have been a lot of times where it seems like lead actors are nominated for supporting actor or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like last year, the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, starring Lakeith Steinfeld and Daniel Kaluuya, two incredible actors. Lakeith Steinfeld, even though he is the main character of the film, was nominated for supporting and Daniel Kaluuya was nominated for lead just because I guess that's what the studio wanted to nominate them for it's it's a very interesting yeah. weird dilemma all is to say i think i think she's a i think that's a lead role she definitely gives um, a leading performance she's incredible yes in she's so well casted so is renee zellweger and this is actually one of the the rare cases where i like the movie cast better than the broadway cast mm. yes that's that's the background that i have i have a fact you have for a you fact Less of a less of a fast fact and more of a kind of interesting observation. Okay. <laughs> um, Rob Marshall has directed eleven movies in his career. That sounds like a direction. Who should we rob? Oh, Rob Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> that is the corniest dad joke I've ever heard. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, he's directed eleven movies in his career. He, well, he's currently in post production on his eleventh, okay. and he's directed a like a wild variety of movies. Really? He directed Chicago, of course, in 2002. Mm-hmm. 2005, he directed Memoirs of a Geisha, oh, okay. um, which has an awesome soundtrack. John Williams. Uh, John Williams soundtrack, yeah. In 2011, he directed Pirates of the Caribbean 4 on Stranger Tides. That's 4, right? I don't know. I think so. I get their names mixed up sometimes. Then 2014, he directed the film version of the musical Into the Woods. Um, oh, really? He did Yeah, Into he the did Woods? that as well. Okay. In 2018, he did Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, okay. He likes musicals. He seems to be a fan of musicals. He he is kind of listed as a film and theater director, so it seems like he has his theater ties, which he brings into mm. the film industry. He's directed a lot of musicals. Gotcha. And also, he's directed several good musicals. Mary Poppins Returns is a great, yeah. great movie. Into the Woods is not one of my favorite musicals, just personally speaking, but I, I did like a lot of things about the way that it was adapted to into a movie. I thought they did it very well. Yeah. All right. So do you want to dive into the plot? Here? I will jump into the plot. Yeah. You mentioned Renee Zellweger as the main character. I was about to open up the plot summary by just complimenting Renee Zellweger. Oh, she's phenomenal. She's such a great actress. And it's funny because if you pull me aside on just a casual day and say, like, Luke, name a... The B-movie. <laughs> yes, that's my first reaction. <laughs> um, I it, It'd be kind of difficult for me to name one because every time I watch a Renee Zellweger movie, I'm surprised that it's Renee Zellweger on every rewatch as well. Because she just becomes the character so much that I don't notice that it's her. Like um, in the B movie. Like in the B movie. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of the B movie is when she's flying around in the plane. She's like, Barry, look. And then she crashes into a mountain. <laughs> it's so funny. But her performances are always so transformative. Like Judy in, I think, 2018 is when that movie came out. Where she plays Judy Garland. She's just so, mm-hmm. so perfect for the role. Yeah. And I forget that it was her who's in the movie. So she's amazing. But yeah, to kind of start off with the summary, we open with the musical number, All That Jazz. And this is kind of, it kind of sets the stage for the filmmaking of the of the movie because Rob Marshall made a very interesting stylistic choice with the movie Chicago. Like you said, it wasn't his directorial debut, but it was his directorial debut as a film director. He did mm-hmm. some TV shows. He directed an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney. And I didn't know that. 
he directed a TV special for the Kennedy Center Honors. And so he had directed things before. This was his first time directing a film. And so this is the kind of stylistic choice that only a first-time filmmaker has the guts to do. He sets all the musical numbers on actual stages, and it kind of blends the lines between fantasy and reality at times. The opening number, All That Jazz, is a good example of this, where Velma is performing on stage at a theater, and it's it's part of the real world. Roxy is there watching her. Uh-huh. But later sequences, as we'll talk to when we get there, kind of mold into this weird fantasy where the character steps out and all of a sudden they're on a stage. And it kind of ties into the main theme of the story of everyone is sort of performing in a weird way. Everyone's yeah. putting on this this show. Yeah, all all the musical numbers are either diegetic, so they're they're happening in the world of the story. Characters are are actually performing in in the story, or um, or they're imaginary and they're happening inside the characters' minds. I mean that that happens most often with Roxy because her her character motivation is she wants to become a vaudeville performer, and so she has all these sequences of just imagining herself on stage. Um, yeah singing and and dancing and and so that's how rob marshall kind of gets around having to explain why (laughs) you know there's there's just random singing and dancing out of out of nowhere every Um, musical runs into that issue yeah and i i think that's one of the most creative and unique things about this film i think it works wonderfully well and i i just really really love that yeah absolutely and it allows for much more like whimsical and, and fantastical staging. Like you can create very unrealistic choreography and costumes and, and really highlight what you're trying to bring out the character of, of the song yeah. without being confined to that reality that you've created for the main storyline. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes some pretty interesting visuals as well. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned that Roxy has his dream to become a vaudeville performer. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the setup for the first scene is she wants her own stardom. And so she has an affair. She's married, but she has an affair with a guy named Fred Casely. Um, Fred Casely. And the reason that she has an affair is not because she loves him, but because he says that he knows a theater manager. Which is a lie. Which is a lie. He, uh, does not know the theater manager, actually. He just has other motivations. But after the show that Velma puts on, she's arrested in this like almost surreal sequence. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Charged for killing her husband, Charlie, and her sister, Veronica. It's not explained why, but all we know is that she did kill those people. It cuts to some time later, Roxy is still trying to wheedle out of Casely how to get in contact with this manager. Mm -hmm. And Casely eventually admits that he has no showbiz connections. Because of that, she's very upset and... She shoots him. She shoots him. (laughs) As is the logical conclusion. No, no. (laughs) Um, And then her husband, the kind-hearted and perfectly pure in every way, Amos, he shows up and at the scene of the crime. And like a horrible person that she is, Roxy asks him to take the blame for the shooting. Well, she says that that he was a burglar. Yeah. And and Fred, uh, important piece here fred is someone that they knew he was like a construction worker or like he, a plumber he or sold us our furniture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so so she knew that amos would recognize fred so she like covered him with a sheet said that he was coming in through the window to rob her and so she shot him in self-defense and amos please take the blame because you'll get away with it yeah you were just defending me amos does so 
because he loves her. Mm -hmm. There's another musical number here where she is singing a song to Amos. Because she still has this dream, like she's going to make it soon, you know? Yeah. Um, So as she's watching Amos make this confession, she's sort of imagining herself singing just this love song, which is also kind of roasting him. It's (laughs) the the theme of this song is, yeah, this guy's kind of lame. But I love him. Also kind of the theme of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically what happens is the detective brings up the name Fred Casely, who Amos recognizes as the person who sold him their furniture. And he puts the pieces together. And using that big brain of his, Amos (laughs) is like, oh my gosh, I think my wife is having an affair. And so because of that, Amos takes away his, his confession and Roxy is forced to admit what actually happened and she is arrested because of it. Mm-hmm. And this scene, the sequence ends with the district attorney saying that he is going to seek the death penalty against Roxy. Yikes. Yes. Not a great situation for our protagonist so far. <laughs> Roxy is sent to Cook County Jail in Chicago, in, in Chicago to Murderess's Row under the, the supervision of Mistress Matron Mama Morton in a musical number which is so raunchy and so it's very raunchy so awesome of like a song this is uh queen latifah queen latifah yeah. plays uh she does a mama great Morton. job she's fantastic she delivers the song when you're good to mama and it's got some killer lines in there like uh musical lines mm-hmm. like is it trumpet that's blaring the whole time oh i don't know it's some some horn yeah, it's it's yeah. it's just like some screaming horn, and it's uh, it's so awesome. I mean, I'm sure it's trumpet. the The whole point of the song is basically to display the corruption in the jail underneath Mama Morton's supervision. There's it's it's a big theme throughout the story of dirty policing in a way. Mama Morton is taking bribes under the counter, and the whole song is basically when you're good to Mama, Mama's good to you. It's saying that. I mean, you give me a favor, you give me what I want, and in return, I'll give you what you want. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big theme of the show is, you know, two characters. It follows Roxy and Velma, just each trying to get what they want and what they shouldn't be able to get. <laughs> but, you know, finding a way because everybody can be bribed and there's always a way to strong arm your way into something that you shouldn't have. Yeah. And going on from there, Roxy meets Velma, who's also a murderess of the murderess's row. Mm-hmm. She's there after getting arrested in the first scene. And Roxy is starstruck because mm-hmm. Velma is exactly the type of person that she wants to be. Please be friends with me. Yeah. But however, her friendship is rebuffed by Velma because Velma um, doesn't care about her. <laughs> this leads into the next number, Cell Block Tango, which is one of my favorite in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just so energetic. And here you kind of learn the backstories of the other women in Murderous Row, you hear about this one Hungarian woman who claims not to be guilty. Uh, you hear Velma's story where you um, find out that she killed her husband and her sister because they were a performing act together and she walked in on them having an affair, which seems to be a theme with all these murderesses of some yep. kind. I mean, <laughs> this is kind of a fun song <laughs> because they all they all killed their significant others but they all claim that said significant others deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think it it ranges. I mean, so obviously not not advocating for the murder of any any significant other, but it kind of escalates because the the first woman's husband I think was he was just chewing gum too loudly. 
Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, he had it coming. But then it, it kind of escalates to, oh, yeah, he was cheating on me with my sister. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's, I mean, that's still not justifiable, but it's a little more plausible. Your anger is understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not advocating for murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Continuing on from there, after that piece, Roxy meets and starts having discussions with Velma's lawyer. Velma is the highest profile person in the prison, and so she is the best lawyer. Mm -hmm. His name is Billy Flynn. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. He is the model of corrupt lawyer who is very expensive and will get you out of any situation, mm -hmm. no matter what. Basically, Flynn takes a liking to Roxy because he sees her as the perfect model for the public eye. She's like this innocent or she can come across. Or innocent. yeah, she yeah. can. <laughs> she appears to be innocent and uh, not innocent of the crime, but innocent in like a charming personality type of way. Yes. And Billy Flynn sees that and he's in love with the possibility of what he could pull off with this case. Yeah. He's very self-absorbed, but in a confident way. Yeah. I think he just wants a good story. He, kind of like all the other characters, is pining for for the front page in a way. Mm -hmm. So he and Roxy, because of that equal ambition, form a kind of perfect duo. So the two of them kind of work through the press to reform her image into this wholesome person that anyone can fall in love with, basically. Mm -hmm. She claims, in a, another awesome musical number, she claims that she only had an affair because Amos was away at work all the time, but she she made she, a mistake, but she's sorry about it. She's real sorry. <laughs> she <And> promises. <laughs> <laughs> she says that she dumped him, and that's why Casey can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Attacked her, and in return, she shot Casey. And the number we both reached for the gun is about this, mm -hmm. about Billy Flynn and Roxy basically convincing the press into believing that Casey attacked. Roxy in a jealous rage because she nobly chose her husband over him. Mm -hmm. And so she had to shoot him and they both reached for the gun and it was self-defense. And if she hadn't done it, she would have been killed. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is such a cool number. I love the staging of it. I think it's probably one of the best. It's one of the most visually interesting numbers. Yeah. In Cause it puts, it puts Flynn, the lawyer as this puppeteer to kind of drive home this image of him as like, he is in complete control of what, the story is and so he's this puppet master and he's controlling roxy he's literally singing for her and quite quite literally puppeteer she's sitting on his knee and he's got her his hand behind her back like a ventriloquist yeah, yeah yeah and he's out of the side of his mouth he's saying her lines yeah the the song is a statement that roxy is giving to the press but he is the one singing it in just like a a weird voice. Um, and towards the end, you know, you see him controlling all the different reporters like they're like they're puppets. And, and he's just completely like the master of this narrative that he's spinning out. And he's he's feeding things to the press, knowing exactly what they're going to do with it and exactly what that's going to do with with Roxy's image. And it's just a very well orchestrated facet to the story as a whole. I'm going to throw in another fast fact here. OK. And I know you probably not like this fast fact because you love the character of Billy Flynn and Richard Gere's performance as Billy mm -hmm. Flynn, which he gets a great one. But the role of Billy Flynn was originally offered 
to yeah. John Travolta. He offered the role to John Travolta several times, probably at this point because John Travolta was known as like the dancing singing man. I don't think he would have fit the character as much no. as Richard Gere does for sure. But yeah, Travolta turned it down multiple times. But there's your your second little fast fact. Mm -hmm. So after we, we both reach for the gun, the number, everyone believes the story. Roxy is completely sold as this wholesome figure. Which causes Billy who was working on Velma's case to pretty much only right. focus on Roxy. So it's it's interesting because Velma was kind of all this high and mighty, like has the best lawyer. I don't need to be friends with you, Roxy, when she comes in. And now she's watching Roxy get all the media attention. She's got Flynn's attention. Yeah. And, and Velma, of course, is obviously very unhappy at seeing the spotlight shine on someone else. It's almost like the show business has moved into the prison, whoever has the most media attention, is the most famous in prison, and gets the most favors from Mistress Mama Morton and yeah. all these different things. So I mean they're they're about to be tried for murder too. And and the implication is that, you know, you need public sympathy for your case in order to get acquitted. So she's, you know, in a in a selfish sense, she's very concerned about losing her publicity, but then in in a much more practical sense, she's worried that if her case goes to trial and it's not the headline of the week, she's going to lose because nobody will care. And, and that way the public can't influence the court's decision, <laughs> which, you know, shouldn't happen anyway. But totally <laughs> that ship has sailed here because of this. Velma ends up approaching Roxy and inquires to see if maybe she would be at all interested in becoming the second part of her act is all a facade because um, she's just trying to regain the public image. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately she needs a second half to her act and the second half has somehow passed away and she is <laughs> unable to, to perform without, uh, without her sister. She goes to Roxy and Roxy, the turns have tabled and Roxy rebuffs <laughs> Velma. And in the I process, need you. <laughs> exactly. We see the Hungarian woman from earlier who professed herself to be, not guilty in the cell block tango piece. Yeah. We see her be hung for uh, murder. So she's pronounced guilty. And the reason behind all of this is because she just didn't have the public eye. She didn't have the sympathy of the public. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also she couldn't speak English. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so that, you know, it's been all kind of fun and games and vaudeville up until this point. And then this other woman who was canonically the only innocent one who didn't actually kill someone she gets executed for murder and so that kind of brings home this like oh there's actual consequences here for these characters who are you know sort of caught up in, in just chasing fame yeah exactly and along with this at the same time uh, another woman is arrested and brought into the prison kitty baxter played by as we just discovered by lucy lou and she's she's a very wealthy high profile person and she's brought in so of course naturally now, all of a sudden, both Roxy and Velma are out of a gig. They they are no longer the spotlight. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so she was arrested for murdering her husband and his two girlfriends. Girlfriends. Sure. And so everyone is starting to pay attention to them now. And along with that goes Billy Flynn because he's chasing the headline as well. Mm -hmm. And so now both Roxy and Velma are like, OK, we need Billy Flynn. And Roxy does the only logical thing. And yells out loud in the prison square i'm pregnant <laughs> well no no, no. she <laughs> so she falls down yeah as as lucy's or not as lucy lou as as kitty is being escorted into the prison in front of all these reporters and she very conspicuously goes oh i'm okay 
I just hope it didn't hurt the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then and everyone goes, huh? <laughs> all the cameras turn back to her and Velma is very annoyed. And Velma's um, like, why that little <laughs> why didn't i think of that <laughs> there's actually a great song about this in the movie where yeah. velma's just like can you believe this <laughs> yeah and they cut it and i'm kind of sad about that <laughs> <laughs> and after that amos roxy's husband is naturally a little bit more interested in getting her out of prison on time well he's so sweet he just he's so excited to be a dad yeah he loves her and he thinks he's the father he approaches billy flynn and like presses him and presses him to focus in this case and to get her out of, of prison basically. Mm -hmm. And he has this piece, Mr. Cellophane, which is the most depressing song ever. Oh, so sad. He basically <laughs> sings how everyone sees right through him because he's lame and no one really loves him. Not even his wife. And you just like want to cry. It's so you sad. Can look right through me. Yeah. Walk right by me. And never know I'm there. I have um another fast fact for you. What's your fast fact? During the Mr. Cellophane number, John C. Riley, who plays Amos, is putting on clown makeup. <laughs> and the reason he does that, it was John C. Riley's idea because he is a clown enthusiast. What? <laughs> <laughs> he loves clowns. You could have kept that fast fact to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, he I have an idea for this scene. <laughs> I have all this clown makeup Can in my I be car. A clown? <laughs> <laughs> you know what would make this really great? <laughs> this is a great movie, Rob, but you know what it needs? It needs more clowns. It needs a clown. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't help but notice there's a perfect opportunity for a clown. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's your fast fact, I guess. Uh. Um, <laughs> after that, Roxy basically she believes because of all the press attention on her that she can win on her own mm -hmm. right that's what happens and so she fires Billy Flynn yeah because she's she's just very petty you know she um everyone and and I mean both Velma and Billy I I suppose wronged her or they were just rude to her really <laughs> and and then she completely cuts them off is like well I don't need you and then runs herself impression oh thanks and then you know ends up running herself into into holes because she's cutting everybody off she does the same thing with amos yeah and <laughs> after she cuts off billy flynn it's pretty short-lived so once she sees that the hungarian woman has been hung she is like uh oh maybe i can't do this oh yeah right that's that's when the hanging happens yeah, yeah and so that's when she goes back and she's like hey Actually, <laughs> you know what I just said? <laughs> I was joking. Roxy's trial is underway and Billy Flynn is doing his best to make it a massive deal. And this this musical is based on a true story to an extent. There's there was a real murderous row in Chicago. Mm -hmm. That's just like another kind of interesting um, fill in to understand this sequence better of the media attention on this trial because it was a real deal at the mm -hmm. time. And he just makes it into a spectacle. Oh, a super spectacle. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, this is one one of my favorite moments in the whole movie happens. Yeah. So Billy's kind of going through the witnesses against Roxy one by one and tearing their stories apart. Even though their stories are true, he's poking little holes in them nonetheless. And he's kind of messing with the evidence that's been provided and all these sort of things. And everything seems to be going right for Roxy until Velma shows up. And Velma, at Surprise. this point, 
<laughs> Thelma at this point is angry with Roxy, of course, for stealing the spotlight once again. And she presents Roxy's diary, which is just so stupid. Roxy just wrote the most incriminating things in her diary. <laughs> Dear diary, I am guilty of the crime for which I am charged. <laughs> yeah, she basically just says that that she was like super, doesn't it talk about how Casely like wanted to give her a manager and stuff like that in the diary. Oh, I don't, I don't remember what it said. Um, but it's just very incriminating. She wrote down all the details <laughs> and all the ways she's guilty. She writes down all the details in the diary of mm-hmm. why she's guilty. And Billy Flynn does his best to, to draw attention away from the diary and ultimately prove it as false evidence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's this number. It's a tap dance number. And it's so brilliant, the visual of it. Because what Billy Flynn is doing is he's... As he is making his argument to the court about why this damning evidence is not damning, it cuts to him tap dancing on a stage furiously. And he's he's basically dancing his way around the competition. Mm-hmm. He's such a good lawyer. He's such a good tap dancer. And they coincide. And the way it's cut together, kudos to the editor, because the way it's cut together is just so climactic and... Uh, perfect for communicating that Billy Flynn is just so much better than everyone else. Yeah, and in just like this this era of like intense concentration and because again, this is one of those numbers that's taking place in his own mind, and and so you you get this understanding that he considers all of this to just be a dance, and like he's taking his steps and and he'll step sideways here and step backwards here, but he he has his steps all planned out and and he knows exactly like where to go and how to perform it so that it sells. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's just brilliant. Also, just, okay, so as someone who did mock trial in high school, <laughs> everything about this courtroom scene just rubbed me such the wrong way the first time I watched it. It's, this is kangaroo court. <laughs> <laughs> Movie courtroom scenes are honestly just terrible. Oh, they're awful. My favorite, my favorite is in The Dark Knight. Harvey Dent is interrogating like this mob boss and the mob boss pulls a gun in the courtroom of Harvey Dent and Harvey Dent grabs the gun and punches him and everyone starts applauding and then he delivers an epic one-liner and you're like okay how do you get the gun in second off why is the lawyer punching a dude what's going on where's the bailiff where's the bailiff <laughs> uh but yeah no there, there's one part where it's in that montage of of Billy just kind of tearing apart all the prosecution witnesses and he just stands up and yells objection your honor and the judge goes sustained without like hearing anything or what the objection is and you can't just stand up and scream in court <laughs> yeah. so i just have to get that off my chest that is that's pretty much my only critique of the movie to be honest yeah. <laughs> and yeah this this tap dance number culminates and afterwards roxy is acquitted because of billy flynn's amazing performance it happens almost immediately after the trial ends is roxy realizes that no one is interested in her anymore because because there is another murderess there's another one yeah it just it just kind of shows the cycle the endless cycle of murder and public and media attention mm-hmm. and just how the press sort of feeds this machine of people wanting to be famous killing someone to get famous mm-hmm. becoming famous and then losing and then over and over and over again yeah. which is kind of similar to what we were talking about last episode with like like hollywood culture you know you get you get your 15 minutes or your few years of fame and then it's gone and everyone moves on yeah and the ending of this movie is the the resolutions to the corruption 
are so corrupt in their own right. It's interesting. Like Billy Flynn comes mm -hmm. up and basically admits that he tampered with the diary in order to incriminate his competition lawyer and then free two other prisoners and all like all this crazy stuff that he's like, Oh yeah, no, I messed with all the evidence. Yeah. And he just straight up tells her and it doesn't matter that he did that because he got her off mm -hmm. and the press loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, important note. Velma testified against Roxy in exchange for the charges against her being dropped. So Velma is free and Roxy has just been acquitted. And so once the trial is over and all the media attention has gone away, Amos comes up to Roxy and he's so excited to be a dad. Oh, he's and so excited. Naturally, Roxy just like completely was like, no, I don't care about you. She says, you fool. Yeah. There is like, no baby. There is no wife. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and poor Amos just wanted to be a, a good dad and I a good know. husband. And Amos she deserves better. Oh, yeah. The final sequence of the movie shows Roxy pursuing this vaudeville life after she gets out of jail and she tries to utilize her like murderous image mm -hmm. to do so but she's not super successful she can't it's kind of shown that she on her own can't command the media presence without billy flynn yeah and the press there and it's it's kind of funny because <laughs> i mean she she tries to use her oh like i'm i'm that girl who killed her husband like that's my that's my gimmick and they're kind of like which one yeah <laughs> it's like that's that's old news by now yeah so she she thinks she has this kind of golden ticket because of her image but again nobody nobody even remembers her she completely fails at her dream which at this point in the movie you're watching it, you're like yes you deserve <laughs> that and then velma shows up and they have this animosity towards each other because of what Velma tried to do. But they basically agree to form a duo. And they form this very... They embrace the murderer part so much. They're What's like, better than one murderer? Two, two murderers! murderers. <laughs> they have like guns, like like cardboard guns with them while they're performing their vaudeville yeah. on stage. Yeah, yeah. And the last number is a reprise of all that jazz. Roxy and Velma are on stage in front of basically all the characters in the movie. Like Billy Flynn is there. Morton is there. Some of the all other. All the jurors from the trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the judge is even there. I can't quite remember. Oh, really? but I think he might I don't be. remember that. They're all his performance of Velma and Roxy reprising all that jazz from the opening number. Uh -huh. And then the movie ends at the very end with this audience comprising of all these different characters that we've gotten to know, giving Roxy and Velma a standing ovation as they finally get their, um, their <laughs> fame that they wanted so bad and that they yeah. were willing to murder for. And that's Chicago. That is Chicago. The, the interesting thing about this movie is you don't really want to root for either of the protagonists. It's true. <laughs> like they're, they're not great. I mean, I like Velma more than I like Roxy. I guess because Velma at least seems to have some sense of dignity and, and pride and she she owns who she is. <laughs> but Roxy is like trying to pretend otherwise and, and sell herself off as this very wholesome, like innocent. And she's just so mean to Amos. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she is so mean. Like every scene he's in, I just feel so bad. Like yeah. this is this is my first time watching the movie. And I believe you had warned me about how sad Amos's character was. <laughs> you had warned me about Mr. Cellophane. Yeah. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't cry at movies. But like I was I was a little bit like teary eyed watching it. I hope I hope that he gets remarried to someone very wonderful and has a family 
and is very happy. Yeah. Because Roxy sucks. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I felt so bad for Amos that I wanted to give John C. Riley a hug. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, dang. Yeah, yeah but it, it is really kind of interesting because all of the all of the characters are oh except for amos all of the main characters are, are kind of sleazebags and they're all yeah. corrupt and and that's one of the interesting things about the show the show kind of takes the stance of you know it's it's very explicit about just how much corruption is going on everywhere and you know every everything has a price everyone can be bribed you can pretty much get anything you want if you're willing to stoop really low but it's it's interesting because it doesn't read as a critique of that at all <laughs> it's not saying like oh like look at this like we need to call attention to to these problems in our society it's just kind of like oh that's yeah that's the way it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> which which i i think is very distinct about the show and actually i i think that's one of the reasons it didn't do so well in the original broadway production because mm. it's it is very cynical and it's like well like everything kind of sucks isn't that great <laughs> yeah. so it's it's interesting to have such an enjoyable movie but with no characters that you really want to succeed it's definitely a feat like, yeah, that's something that's hard to pull off. Yeah, I have my last fast fact for, of the day. Go for it, Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh-huh. the actress in this movie. She, I uh, know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> she she was actually a few months pregnant while filming. Oh, really? Yeah, and for a couple of shots, they had to use a body double because she was uh, towards the end of the shoot, her belly was showing a little bit. Oh, wow! And so they had to use a body double. I did not know that. Yeah, something something new every day. Well, good for Catherine. Good for her. Good for Katha Zeta Jones. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks for listening. If you want to send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, or other commentary, you can send that to offthewatchlist at gmail.com. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time. You said thank you for watching. (laughs) Ah! I'll do that again. You can leave that in. Thanks for listening (laughs) is the word you're looking for. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.